Huh? Okay. Good. You ready? Wait till it works. Wait. Take it. They got some uh, Do what? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate. Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, but now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak from want, for I have not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father to be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, you have supplied and you continue to supply, not always what we want, but always what we need. Your graciousness, your mercy on display, day in and day out, as our needs are met, as what we, are ne what, what we require for this life you have provided. Lord, strengthen us that we would continue on the path that you have laid out, operating by the means that you have granted, so that we'd be fruitful servants in your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel, King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. Throughout all eternity, I'm going to praise Him and forevermore I will reign with Him. All Lord of Lord, bright morning star, throughout all eternity, I'm going to praise Him and forevermore. I will reign with him. All King Jesus, all Emmanuel, 
kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. Throughout all eternity, I'm going to praise Him. And forevermore, I will reign with Him. And forevermore, I will reign with Him. This week's going to be better because the computer worked faster. <laughs> so I'm not nearly as frazzled. All right. Go right into it. In Pharaoh's dreams told to Joseph, what did the seven cows represent? Yes. See, we have seven years of plenty and famine. That's how I wrote it, just because I'm trying to be quick about it, which I had to double check myself. You never notice when someone gives you an answer and you're not sure about it, and you're like, I know the answer to that. But I think that answer's wrong. The little trivia card that I had said it was only seven years of famine. I'm like, no, 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 there were, there were seven years of plenty, right? So then I'm digging through Genesis going, there's seven, yes, yes, yes. Okay. <sighs> this is why you have to know things. Because you, you read something going, oh, wait a minute. And, you, and the, 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 the person you end up doubting the most is you, even though you know. This, this is actually a really good warning for everything going on in the world because... The temptation is someone tells you something, and you by nature believe it. This, <laughs> well, well, Jonathan is a special case that we just we just don't go after. We just don't deal with that. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, but this is why it's key to have. We do. Someone's got to love Jonathan. But this is why it's key to know your Bible and not just say, well, I can look it up real quick because you come across stuff like that. And it's like, wait a minute, that's some, you have to have something in the back of your brain that kicks in and goes, that's not right. I need to double check and make sure. And this is how little things get messed up. If one little thing gets twisted on the road and next thing you know, you don't even realize where you've landed. So don't say this one out loud, although they shouldn't be able to hear you on the recording either. To whom did Abraham give tithes or a tenth of everything? That's easy enough if you know your Old Testament history, but this is, this is complicated. I'm going to read you this. There are two locations for this answer, one Old Testament and one New Testament. One is, the, one is the story, the narrative, and the New Testament is the explanation. So your challenge is not just to get the answer, but to find both of them. It's mm -hmm. good for you because one will like I said, tell you what happened, and the New Testament will explain why it happened. And then remind me next week to give you the uh, the fun pronunciations. I'll probably remember on my own, but I figure I have to ask. So there's your there's your homework for the week is to dig through. It'll be good for you. Um, let's see. It's raining. It's a miserable day. We all want to go back to bed, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, we're all in the same boat. From young to old in the room today, we're like, it's nap time. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll be preaching in a few minutes, and then it'll be nap time. 
I used to have a friend of mine in seminary used to say, you know, used to tell all of our professors whenever we, they were the speaker in chapel, he used to tell them, he goes, look, don't, don't be offended. I've fallen asleep on some of the best preachers in the world. So when it's your turn in chapel and I sleep through your message, don't be upset. <laughs> yeah, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> so um, I don't think there's anything bizarre. One of these days we will move apparently in Illinois to phase three. Yeah, I doubt it too. Yeah, we're, we'll all be moving to Iowa and Wisconsin at this rate. Maybe we can petition to have a Wisconsin adopt us. Is, is that an option? They probably don't want us. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, as I said, after the state files for bankruptcy, does Wisconsin get the northern part, Iowa gets the, the western part, and Indiana, does Kentucky and Missouri? Yeah, yeah Mich Lake Michigan gets Chicago, right? <laughs> Somebody's got to get it. All right, so I don't think there's anything bizarre to announce. We were probably going to have a business meeting, I think it was this week or next week, when we get um, updated financial information from the uh, the accounting company. Uh, I'll get copies made, and we'll put that out. I know the last time I looked at it, at the end of April, just to make sure everybody knows, we are for the year, catch how I'm saying this, we are for the year $50 below the budget. So if you break that out, that's it's like, you know, eight bucks a week. <laughs> so we have done really well. A lot of our folks that have not been able to get out and about or are being cautious staying at home, they have either come by and dropped off a gift or they have mailed one in, and I'm eternally thankful. We actually do have a cushion in the bank. We talked about that before. All of this mess happened that we could operate for weeks and months if nothing came in and still be healthy, but our people who give regularly have continued to give regularly, which tells me, look, good news, the state thinks you're essential because you still have money. <laughs> so someone thinks we're important. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that how it works? That's how it is. So uh, as soon as we get actual numbers back from a ch uh, Simplify and we get the full accounting for the month and everything, and Elena sends it to me, I will make copies and get it posted around so everybody can see it and that way we can still keep reporting everything so that everybody knows what's going on i don't want to ever be in the position where what are we doing exactly mm -hmm. I want to make sure everything's out there and we know what's happening so is there anything else at this time that i'm forgetting i don't think that there is in that case i'm gonna stop talking go turn that classroom light off and then we can stand and sing Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you garlic touching in His graces? Hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb, are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? 
Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Pure and white is the blood of the Lamb. Will your soul be ready for the mansion's bride and be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in, and then his light with meth and filled my soul. It bade my heart in love and wrote my name above, and just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. Now when you feel little prayer will turn, and then you'll know little fire is burning. Find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Sometimes my passing drear without a ray of cheer. And then a cloud of doubt may hide the light of day. The mist of sin may rise and hide the starry sky. And just a little talk with Jesus clears the way. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our pain and cry. He will answer by and by now when you feel little prayer will turn and then you'll know little fire is burning. Find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. I may have doubts and fears, my eyes be filled with tears, but Jesus is a friend who watched day and night. I go to him in prayer, he knows my every care, and just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. 
Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our painless cry. He will answer by and by. Now when you feel little prayer will turn, and then you'll know little fire is burning. Final little talk with Jesus makes it right. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our painless cry. He will answer by and by. Now when you feel little prayer will turn, and then you'll know little fire is burning. Find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Now find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Hey, James, you can stay up here. You can stay up here. We're going to do Amazing Grace for the special. Amazing Grace. Everybody can sing. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind. But now I see T'was grace that taught my heart to fear And grace my fears relieved How precious that grace appeared the hour I first believed through many days. Toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe as far. And grace will lead me home when we've been 
Tired of my water bottle trying to attack me, but that, like, there's a Lego brick in here. Why? Why is there Lego bricks in the podium? I have no idea, but apparently there are. In case I get bored in the middle of the service, I can play Legos, or I can play Lego because I only I only have one brick. Yep. But I do have a a, a Lincoln log. Maybe. It's, and so now I at least know why the water bottle attacks me. Every once in a while it bumps into something and then it comes rolling out. So, all right. Warning right up front. We are gonna, it's going to be one of those mornings. Either I am going to be really wound up in a few minutes and Vern will be peeling me off the ceiling or I'll be half asleep by the time we're done. So we'll know in about three verses. We'll find out. It's just one of those days. The computer's sort of behaving today and I've been talking nice to it all week. I know that bothered you the other day that I, I might say something mean about it and it doesn't like us. I've tried to be nice to it and it's still a jerk. <laughs> so, something productive and useful. We are back to Thessalonians. We will be here until the middle of June, at which point we will finish the book. Woo! And then at the end of June, we will, we will start something new and fun and exciting, but I'm not telling you what it is yet just because I don't want to. No real good reason. I just don't want to right now. Now, we are on the uh, the downhill side of this book. I warned you that Thessalonians, well, 1 Thessalonians, I always want to just say Thessalonians. I, I know that's not technically correct. So 1 Thessalonians has the world's largest introduction because we are still basically in it, where Paul is still working through who this church is and why that is either good or bad. So the platitudes, and that's, it's one of those loaded terms, like whenever someone says, well, you're just spouting platitudes. Well, well that doesn't, doesn't have to be bad. In this case, it's not. The, the platitudes of the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 3, are now going to be applied to the people in the second half of the book, not the second half, but in the last portion of the book, in their reality of how they live. So, with that said, we're still not going to get to the problem of Thessalonica today. You have to wait and come back next week to hear what the actual problems are, or like read ahead. And don't blame me for that. I didn't write it. Paul did. I'm just working through it in sections. So our goals on this transitioning day is to see the why of chapters one through four. One three. Three, which comes after two and before four, and then you throw the holy hand grenade. <laughs> 
So to see the why of chapters one through three, and then hopefully that begins to work itself out in chapter four. The all-encompassing nature of what Paul has been teaching, the totality of that teaching, not just in Paul's letter, but in all of Scripture. And then hopefully by the time we're done with that, we've taken all of that information and we've made it something we can do something with as we live our lives. Sound like a good idea? That's the plan. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 12. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the, mat in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. They told you we weren't getting to the problem yet. We're still encouraging and building up, but this is the beauty of Scripture and especially what Paul has done here. All the stuff he just told them has a grounding in what has come before in the letter. And so we want to make sure we continue to build out on that. So let's rewind and go back to verse 1. Finally then, brethren, if you've listened to more than eight sermons, you know this rule. Anytime the pastor, preacher, speaker, whatever says finally or in conclusion, what do you know is about to happen? Another 20 minutes of talking. <laughs> yes, I'm going to pick on my people. That's why they tell you in public speaking to never, ever, ever say finally or in conclusion. Because either... You're not doing a good enough job of communicating you're at the end by the tempo and flow of your message, or you just lied to everybody and now they're going to be mad at you, and 15 minutes after you said finally, you're still talking, or we're on the third in conclusion. You've, you've, you've listened to that guy, haven't you? Yeah. See, <laughs> Put your hand down. <laughs> it's never good when your wife raises, I've listened to that guy. She doesn't mean me, though. Couldn't possibly be me. Paul is not actually using it in the poor manner, because if you're actually paying attention, you're going, there's like two whole chapters after finally. Yes, finally as in this is his last of the exhortations that lead to the solving the problem that is in Thessalonica. So we're using it as a transition. So finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk. No, no, stop. What's he encouraging them to do? To actually be the Christians that God has called them to be. This is kind of the point of the church getting together. This is why leadership is put into a church. This is why we do, you know, 
this whole thing every Sunday. Titus 1 again, we read this a couple weeks ago. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward and not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. Hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. Holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that, in other words, he should not be the bad things and he should be the good things so that he can do what? He will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. In other words, teach what is right. And when teaching that is wrong comes in, smack it and throw it back out the door. So teach what is good and condemn what is evil. This is Christian walking. That as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God. This is what Paul sought to have happen. We read this a few weeks ago in Philippians. What was Paul's declaration about his own life? Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. This is a theme we're going to come back to as we work through this. There is an understanding that walking in godliness by definition means rejecting worldliness. They are two separate entities. And part of the call of what the Christian has to do is differentiate the two things. Because, see, we use the walking metaphor because, well, Scripture uses a walking and a path metaphor. But we have a tendency to think of it like an interstate. You know, because, I mean, I'll use this metaphor as well, because we're walking or we're driving along, and there's clearly marked exits, and there's fields that you don't drive in, and there's barricades and guardrails that tell you when you're, you're no longer driving on the highway. That's great on an interstate. It'd be awesome if the Christian walk was like that, but it's not. Too often, there's cornfields trying to grow in the middle of the interstate, or there's people driving crossway, or there's someone going the wrong way, and there's all sorts of things going on, and you have to evaluate what road am I actually traveling on? Because so often the old self, the old fallen nature is still, you know, doing this number and you are working. Remember, what did we mention last week? Our Christian walk is what kind of a climb? It's uphill. It's a constant, <laughs> it's a constant working and fighting to move which means as things come in from the outside, we have to be able and capable to discern them, understand them, and either accept them as good or reject them as false. John warned the same thing on 2 John. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive your full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive them into your house. Do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Now keep in mind when, when John's writing, the house isn't just a house. It's the gathering for the believers. So do not accept them into your fellowship. Do not accept them into your circle of believers. You still got to talk to people. You still got to be nice to people. If you don't talk to them and you're not nice to them, how are they ever going to listen to you? That's part of the call. No, what John is warning about is do not associate. Do not be identified with them. Do not let your fellowship be known as the one that had that guy as the teacher. You know, the one who uses finally 17 times in a sermon. Get that guy out. So do all of these things. And what's the following? The, 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 
English, you would think I speak it every day. <sighs> the concluding clause, that you excel still more. We do all of these things, how? In excellence, because that's the call of Christ. First uh, Corinthians 10 is your, is your hallmark. Whether you then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, keep in mind, we know that part. Let's remember the rest of it because there's a why in there. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. See, we don't just do all things well because then everyone will think it's awesome, or that way I can say I did all things well. I'm doing these things well so that the world will see me and that when I point them to God, they will actually have a a basis upon which to travel. In other words, because I'm doing the good work of traveling well, identifying what's cornfield and what's highway, when I tell people to follow the road, what am I doing? I'm actually laying out a clean, followable road. Ultimately, as the generations go along, Christian living and walking should be easier, not harder. Because as we go, what should be happening to the generations that are following us? We should be laying down markers demonstrating where there are errors. This is one of the things that really messes us up. Because we're Americans, and you know what we care about? We care about America. <laughs> and you know what we don't know a lot about? And this isn't just like us. This is, I'm just talking, talking about my ilk as well, the... Uh, the we don't, we don't know enough history. We don't know enough world. We don't know enough about the people that have come before us and the markers that they have laid down. This is why we have the same heretical movements after centuries. I mean, when you deal, when you deal with things in the world, like, ah. so, like, think your guru teaching. Like, you know, when you turn on Oprah, like, she doesn't do this as much as she used to. I really need to find out who the new person is because I keep going back to Oprah because that was a thing when I was, you know, like 10, 15 years ago. But you get all these new age gurus talking about your inner self and, and thinking through all of these. And, you know, you make sure you do your breathing exercises and calm and center yourself and get in connection. This is new age gobbledygook. This literally goes back 1900 years to the first century. It's 1900 year old gobbledygook. Now, gobbledygook is bad enough. But when it's 2000 years old, it's like that burn pile. It's never going away. We don't even know what that is. Or the Jehovah's Witnesses that come to you and talk about, well, you know, Jesus is really Michael the Archangel, and he's, a, he's an exalted, created being. That's literally the Arian heresy from the 4th century. It's 1,700 years old. We had three councils to refute it, and we put theological statements together that tell you that it's garbage. And yet we still have people walking around going, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Or when people deny the divinity of Christ and he was just a really good man. We're, again, going back to the second and third century. This is some sort of, it's either docetism, uh, Marcionism, where we're cutting up the Bible. That, that's been going on since the 200s. Uh, docetism was denying, oh, I'm going to get these all confused now because I went down this road. But docetism is denying the, uh, the physical body of Jesus. He was just a spiritual being. Um, you've got all sorts of other groups that would deny the deity of Christ, that he was just an exalted man. It's like these things all go back literally to the first, second, and third centuries of the church. So you're talking about, you know, the late, the late uh, aughts, you know, the 80s and the 90s through the one in the 200s. And yet we got people walking around today saying the same 
thing. Why? Because we don't pay attention to the arguments that were had before and smack them out of the way and move forward to deal with new arguments. We're dealing with the same problems. Part of the cure, cure is grounded here, but also grounded in the people that have walked before us and blazed the trail. Now, the warning. Did everyone who cleaned out the cornfield off the highway lay down good asphalt? No. What can we do, though, if we're grounded in Scripture primarily? We can now look and go, okay, I see the asphalt you put over here, and I like that, but that, uh, that, that's, that's like Illinois Interstate right there. That's, that's sinkhole city, and we're not going over there. See, you, you've seen those. You hit, the, you hit the bump, and then you apologize to the dashboard because you have that one little spot right there that you rub and go, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is Christian living. Part of this is following what has been laid down. Again, what did Paul tell the Corinthians? Follow me as I follow Christ. So as Christ goes, the apostles follow, the church follows the apostles, we can continue walking in line. Always evaluating, always being wary, always being careful, but actually filling our minds with good things and walking a right path. So verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. This is one of those duh verses. Do you know why they know what the commandments are? Because they haven't changed. If only they would put things like this in books where we could keep them and have them and know them. That would be smart, wouldn't it? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Which means he doesn't make a mistake on this, and he doesn't confound us with his wisdom, but he presents it so that it is understandable. Things like Ephesians 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. How many? One. One. One message. How many times have we hammered on this? One message in Scripture pointing to the work of the Messiah. One message in Scripture pointing to the work of Christ. One message in Scripture pointing to the mercy of God and redemption of people. All through one means, through one message, from one single deity, through one God. So, of course, they know the command. It's... It's hammered through page after page after page after page after page. But just in case you missed it, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Oh, good. Sanctification, we want this. The daily growing into godliness, the daily growing in righteousness, the casting away of sin. What does that look like? So glad you asked. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. That is not a unique list in scripture. That's kind of common. Philippians chapter 3. That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is how we do it. We live godly lives following after Christ in faith. Now because we are doing that, who indwells? Specifically. Somebody said, God, I want a more specific answer. Holy Spirit indwells because I have put my faith in Christ. God has declared me not guilty. He has granted me the Holy Spirit who now indwells me and guides me. That's that whole 
you know, path thing we're talking about. Therefore, I am able to do these things. How do I know what's immoral? I've literally got a Holy Spirit with the Golden Corral frying pan in the back of my head going, go ahead, look over there one more time and see what I do. Go ahead. <clears throat> Stop it. It's good for you. It's a good little kick in the pants. And here's, here's why I say it's good for you. Because you know when you ignore it. You do. Yeah. There's never been a time where you just walked up and you were like, I can't believe I have got myself into this mess. I, I don't know who put this swamp in the middle of the interstate, but it's just here and now I'm in it, and stop that. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to you. Don't lie to God. You had the voice in the back of your head. It said, stop it. Don't go that way. And you said, shh, I know what I'm doing. And then the other side of you went, hey, Bubba, watch this. And you know that's the universal symbol for nothing good is about to happen. And Cameron from the south raises a thumbs up. You know? <laughs> hey, Bubba, watch this. It's right up there with hold my beer. No good comes from anything that happens after that moment. Nothing. You said both of those things. You went flying into the swamp, and then you're like, I don't know how my life keeps ending up like this. Yes, you do. Stop quenching the spirit. Live a life in search of godliness. Well, how do I do that? Follow the rules and the commandments that God has laid down, not out of compulsion, but out of love. I want to follow what God has told me is good. Why? Because he has redeemed me and granted me his Holy Spirit and taught me what is good, and I wish to do what is pleasing to him. I do not do what is good so that he will be pleased. I do what is good because he is pleased in Christ and I am in Christ. There's a difference between those two things. And that's one of the reasons why we walk to the end. See, if it wasn't, if there was no purpose to your walk, then the very, very best thing God could do the second he saved you is what? Kill you. Kill you. Like, eh. like, that's how we would know who got saved. They'd just be like, dead on the side of the highway. You're just littered with bodies everywhere. Because God's like, I want that one, I want that one, I want that one. You know, it's like a whack-a-mole with people. I think I just realized we've got crazy goofy Michael today. I think I just think I, I think that one just hit me. <sighs> Whack-a-mole with people. Okay, yeah, we're going there today. Why doesn't he do that? He does not do that because there is a purpose, there is a benefit and a value to his sanctifying work. That is the walk. This is also why we walk well and walk to completion. We covered this last week. How do you know you've been successful? When you make it to the end. It's, a, it's this uh, old comedian joke. If you haven't gotten to where you're going, you aren't there yet. <laughs> Same thing in sanctification. How do I know that I have been saved by God? I will make it to the end. Why am I fighting? Because it's proving to me that God is at work. How did I get out of the swamp? Because he drugged me out, sometimes kicking and screaming, and put me back on highway. This is part of the evaluation. This is also why we work together. Because you know what I need to hear from other people? When I'm standing knee-deep in the swamp and lying to myself about it. Because you're standing there long enough, it's kind of easy to go, no, no, I, I like mud in my toes. It, it feels good. It's, it's squishy and warm. Yay. And somebody looks at you and goes, that's that swamp. Yep. <laughs> Pull me out. <laughs> you, th this is Christian sanctification. The one another's. The walking together. This is why Paul, notice throughout this letter, what is he talking about doing? It's about how they walk. It's not how you walk, it's how the church, 
the believers, the body walking together, dealing with one another. Notice how many times as we've used cross-references and gone back, we're talking about dealing with each other, teaching. By definition, teaching requires more than one person. It does. When you read and learn stuff yourself, you're not really teaching yourself. You're learning. Having someone teach you, by definition, involves more than one person. This is part of the command of the church. Exhortation involves, by definition, more than one person. Someone has to be doing something wrong. Someone else has to tell them they're doing something wrong and correct it. This is how the church works and walks together. And by the way, Paul didn't come up with this idea out of thin air either. John didn't come out of the city. We always go back to John. If they went out from us because they were not of us. In other words, they did not walk to the end. Where do you think John got such a crazy idea? Matthew 24. They will deliver you over to tribulation. They will kill you, and you will be hated by all the nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead any. Will mislead many. Say that three times fast. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. John got the idea from Jesus. Paul got the idea from Jesus. Where in the world would Paul get this list out of verses 3 through 6? He got them from Jesus. Rewind in your Bible, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Nothing in there about not defrauding your brother or being sexually pure, is there? Nothing at all in the Ten Commandments about adultery or, or lying or stealing or anything like that, right? Not, not in there at all. Uh, the, the Romans 1, what we call the vice list of Romans 1. What is that primarily concerned with? You're lying to yourself and your immoral, immoral behavior in the world. What is Paul telling you? All this immorality you're seeing is a judgment from God. The people lying to themselves about their sin is a judgment from God. Acts 15, what did the council tell them? This was the big uh, Judaizing council, or uh, Judaizing controversy. Do they need to keep the law of Moses to be Christian? You have to be a Jew before you can be a Christian. Would the council tell them when they were finished? James, Peter, Paul, the whole rest of the crowd? What? Abstain from sexual morality, from things uh, strangled with the things with blood in them, and, and go about your day. There you go. In other words, live a good life. Follow along. First Peter chapter 2, the command of living from Peter in a sinful world, that you as strangers and aliens abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Huh. What could that possibly be? I don't know. Immorality in the body? Defrauding? Because let's not just assume uh, sinful fleshly lusts are just physical in nature. Sometimes it's, I want what? I want stuff. Now, I, don't want, I just don't want any stuff. I want your stuff. Yeah. Your stuff's good. There's nothing in the commandments about me not wanting your stuff, is there? Not a thing about that. We know, we're throwing that coveting thing right out the window, right? Hebrews 13, 1 Corinthians 6. I mean, this is Scripture. What does sin look like? It looks like the violation of the commands that God has laid down. Conversely, what does holy living look like? It looks like walking in concert with the commandments that God has laid down. Therefore, as Christians, guided by the Holy Spirit, looking for that highway of godliness that leads to Christ, what am I going to use as my, as my yardstick? What am I going to use as my barricades and my guardrails? The commands that God has laid down. So Paul continues, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Here's another duh verse. What do you know about God? If you, if you had to pick just one word, you only get one word to describe God, what would you pick? 
same word. See, I like that because if you're paying attention in reading your Bible, if you, if you could only get one, that's usually the one that pops in your brain. God is holy. Why do we say things like that? Leviticus 19, verse 2. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. Why? For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And by the way, he also says that in... I didn't do it. For once it wasn't me. He says it again in Leviticus 26, Leviticus 21.8. He says it previously in Exodus 19. Why are all those laws laid out for the people of Israel? What is Israel supposed to be? Israel is supposed to be a redeemed people. God has purchased them from Israel... He has redeemed them from their slavery, and they, he has set them aside so that they would be a holy people before him. How are they going to do that? Because that's a good question. Like, okay, we're supposed to be a holy people. What does that look like? I'm so glad you asked. Welcome to Leviticus. Here's what it looks like to be separated from all the other nations and be holy unto me. Now, does that description sound like anybody you know? A people bought from their bondage and slavery redeemed, purchased by God, and set aside to be a holy nation. This is Christianity. This is the walk. This is the fulfillment. Nothing has changed. What God was demonstrating and doing with Israel is what he has done in Christ. That's why we talk about all of Scripture pointing to Christ. It's not, a, it's not this weird event that we've got to make sense of. No, Moses is the messenger. Moses is the, is, the, is the prefiguring of Christ. He is the Redeemer for Israel. He is not the Redeemer. He is pointing to the final Redeemer. So what is that? Leviticus is given to Israel so that they would now know, how should I function in godliness? How'd that work out for him? No. This is why you have all the promises you have from Jesus about not leaving his people about the indwelling of the Spirit, about the completion of God. This is why you have the walking hand-in-hand hand with Christ. Because apart from Him, what will we default to? We'll default to sin. How do I know that? They gave me an Old Testament. Yeah. You can either see me at work, or if I don't believe that, I can literally look at the objective history of humanity and see what? When left to their own devices, they fall away and they fall apart. But with the Holy Spirit, new heart, new mind, new nature, new desires, new direction. I am now literally empowered by God to follow. I want to do what is good and pleasing in his sight because he is now pleased with me and he has changed me and redeemed me. Stay. Therefore, by his power, I can follow and I can see the commands that he's given. I can love my neighbor. I can reject the sinful desires of this world because I have righteous desires of a world that is to come that are better and greater that I'm longing for. See, this this is the cure for um, this is the cure for diseases, not diseases for um, diets. Wrong D word. Um, what messes you up on a diet? That cookie tastes really good. And and what's the mantra from people that don't eat the cookie? I've heard this one for years. Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. And I'm like, you're eating the wrong cookies. It's just all there's to it. But there is some truth to that because when, when you're successful, it's because what? The thing you desire, the thing you are attempting to achieve by eating well is more important to you than the taste of the cookie. Therefore, you don't want the cookie. Even though part of you wants the cookie, you are able to say, I don't want the cookie because I want something that's more important. Welcome to sanctification. I want that sin. There is always that part of you in the back going, come in, come in, come in. 
but I'm saying, no, I don't want it. And the other part of you is going, liar. You know, you're Billy Crystal's wife and the Princess Bride. Liar! Liar! If you haven't seen that movie, you need to watch that movie. It's a classic. Enjoy it. Yeah, she's, she's great. <laughs> there you go. You get, the, you get the part of you, what do we do? Well, I'm just being a hypocrite because I'm saying I don't want the thing that I want. No, no, that's not being a hypocrite. That's being faithful. Because there is a part of you that wants it, but there is a greater part that doesn't want that sin because it wants the godliness. There's part of your proof of sanctification. There's your proof of the indwelling of the Spirit. Because without the Spirit, you know what you don't have? A want for the thing that is godly. A want for the thing that is righteous. You just want, ooh, shiny object. Yeah, I'll take that. Yes, please. Yeah, cookie. Give me the cookie. See, there you go. If you've learned nothing else, cookies are sinful. That's the takeaway here, right? Is, is, is that how that connects and works together? No, I'm getting the thumbs down from the back. That's not the takeaway. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be one of those. I told you it's going to be one of those days. No, the takeaway is we are successful only because of the work that God has done. We are successful only because of the, pre the pre persevering and preserving. You try to differentiate those two words in your mind. The persevering, the continuing, and the preserving, the upholding work of God that is continually at work. I desire the godly, righteous thing. Therefore, I am capable of, I'm not going to do it, of casting away the ungodly thing. I almost used a shoe, but I decided I shouldn't. I, we don't need a word of the month, do we? No. And by the way, before anybody comes at me and says, well, that's just an Old Testament thing, and you're conflating the law and the gospel. No, no, no. I am separating them rightly because the law rightly condemns my sin, but it also then rightly points me to righteousness. And the apostles had no problem with this. First Peter 1. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, be as heavenly minded as you possibly can be. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is what helps us not mess up the distinction. See, when we break down and mess up our law-gospel distinctions, what we're saying, the, the mess-up is, there's all these commands in Scripture to be holy, be holy. You, in order to be saved, you must be holy. And I would go, yes, but in order to be holy, you must be saved. And that's the proper distinction. The command is not in a vacuum. This is why we do not demand a change of behavior from the sinful human, the unredeemed human. They can't. They, they have no ability whatsoever to turn from their sin apart from godliness in Christ. They can't do it. Again, what's that history in the Old Testament show us? You give them the law and how do they end up? Condemned. They end up dead in their trespasses and sins. The law does its work. It breaks out that golden corral frying pan and goes, gotcha. He got up. Gotcha. <laughs> He's not paying attention. Gotcha. It doesn't miss. The law is undefeated. When we try and get people to operate in godly ways without first changing their heart, mind, and desires, we end up creating Pharisees, hypocrites, and people who hate us. Every single time. This is why they tell you, if you're going to deal with Christ-centered parenting, 
We don't change behavior. We change motivation in children. We have to get them to Christ before we can get them to Christ-likeness. Those two things do not walk separately. They walk together. So if your communication of the teachings of Christ is only on how to change behavior and not how to change the heart, you are not presenting the gospel rightly. You are presenting a change of action based on your force of will. Your force of will is busted and broken and incapable of saving you. Christ's is. We do not follow so that God will be pleased, so that we will be saved. We follow because God is pleased, because in Christ we are saved. We can do these things. We can follow what Peter is telling us to be holy because there is a Holy Spirit at work in dwelling, steering, guiding, smacking, urging, correcting, cajoling, whatever adjective you can come up with to get you down the right path. And he will not fail. He will not forsake you. He will not forget you. And you will not fall because you will be successful because he is the one who is guiding you. That's the starting point. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by what? The words concerning Christ. The gospel message of Christ. That's our starting point. We deal with the behavior after we have dealt with the heart. Now, why do I say all that? <laughs> this goes together. Verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is your warning. If you love your sin more than you love God, I've got really bad news for you. Really bad news for you. 1 John 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, we start there because now we have actually laid the groundwork, dug a foundation that we can now build the gospel on. We have presented you the first step, which is what? Bad news. This is bad news. I like this world. I like this place. I like my life. I like my sin. Good. We've gotten somewhere. Congratulations. We've started in the right place. Now, always give bad news first. It's biblical. The bad news must precede the good news. First Timothy 1. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. This is our starting point, our reminder. God does not save good people. Why not? Beyond that, good people do not need to be saved. If I can sit there and say, I'm good, then I don't need your help because I'm I'm good. I got this. We're all good here. No, the starting point is the condemnation of everyone, which is, again, why we get away from the behavior and we get down to the heart. We get down to the motivation, the thought processes, the things and the desires that got you to that behavior. Again, everybody knows when they're knee-deep in the muck and the mire. It's just they want to lie about it, pretend like it's beautiful. It, no, it's just irrigation. It'll, it'll go away once the sun comes back out. It'll be fine good. We're good. I'm good. You're good. We're all good. I mean, wasn't that literally a book in the 70s? Yeah, I'm, see, I, I, knew, I knew it was a book. I'm okay. You're okay. We're kumbaya. I mean, this is the setup. Where does that come from? See, there's the end of your Romans 1 vice list. It's not just enough that we do all these things, but what do we want? 
Not only do they know the ordinances of God, but they reject them and give hearty approval to those who do the same. In other words, I want you to do what? I'll affirm your delusion if you'll, if you'll affirm mine. I'll scratch your back. We're all going to be good. We'll lie to each other. No. What did Jesus tell you the starting point was with his message? Luke chapter 5. Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. There was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people. I like that in Luke, um, other people is actually put off in italics because that's not what the word actually means. It doesn't just mean other people, but it's basically saying it's tax collectors and other people like them, other sinners, other immoral people, who were reclining at the table with him. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, The starting point is recognizing that I'm not okay. You're not okay. None of this is okay. But in Christ, it is not just okay, it is good, and it is righteous, and it is holy and pleasing in God's sight. And we can then offer acceptable lives and sacrifices that God will accept, be pleased with, rejoice over, approve, and empower to continue. Therefore, my life needs to be centered on kingdom living, repenting of sin, living in a godly manner, and proclaiming the means by which other people can get onto the same highway I'm there. How, pray tell, should I do that? So glad you asked that question. You ask excellent questions. Verse 9. As for the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. See, we wrote a Christmas song about that, didn't we? Well, not us specifically. Surely he taught the slave is our brother. I can't sing, but you should know a holy night. If you don't know a holy night, for shame. Look up, look up the approved Labate household version of O Holy Night that we play every year from YouTube. Um, look up David Phelps's version of O Holy Night, and you will be ruined for anybody else's. It's just you're you're you're, you're welcome. David Phelps, O Holy Night, you're welcome. They're being sanctified. They're being built up. They know because they're doing what? They're digging through in the scriptures. They're learning. They're growing. Things like this, Psalm 119. How I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourselves have taught me. See, that's Old Testament. That's the explanation. What is, what is the psalmist saying? I have joy. I have peace. I am secure. I am wise. I am discerning in this world. Why? Because I know what? Your word. Which is why, what do we talk about evaluating history? What's our starting point? I'm not just grounded in what everybody that said before me, I'm grounded in what first? Scripture, so that I can then accept or reject what has come before me. I don't have to do as much hard work because I can evaluate rather than start from scratch. That's helpful, that's good, but it is still incumbent on who to do the work. I still have to do it. First John 4. 
We love because he first loved us. This again, make sure we get this understanding right. If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. In other words, you act differently because you are different. Verse 10. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. (sighs) Anybody else feel like the world just got heavier? (laughs) Like we're doing all this good work, and what does Paul have to tell us to go do? Do it more. It's like, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. Now, this is our fun question. Are you ever good enough? No, you get that. Here's a better way to ask it. Do you ever have enough of God? Ow. See? It attacks. Stay. I'm telling you, I just... You would say, well, but I've, I've had this one for years. It's, it's, it's almost sentimental. Yes. It's from my youth ministry days when the teenagers called me Mr. Michael Dude. Yeah, see? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I, I think I've had this over, t- I think I've had this like 10 years. You know how long, you know how hard it is to keep a water bottle for 10 years? I mean, this is, this has moved like multiple states and churches and all sorts of stuff. See, the Lego has a purpose. I, brilliant. All right, Mr. Lego, you'll get glued down tomorrow. See? See, this is why we work together. This is the one another's. One insults, one actually encourages and builds up. <laughs> now, where were we? Do you ever have enough of God? No, this, we, we read this um, last week or week before last, Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But catch how that works. If your delight is in the Lord, what are the desires of your heart? The Lord. Therefore, what's he going to give me? Now, when will you have enough of that? Never. Paul mentioned this last week. Well, not last week. Last week for us, but in chapter 3. What thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? What's Paul's point? How can we possibly thank God enough for the work that he has done in us and in you? And the answer was what? You, you you can't, which is again why we remember how our little interstate trip that we're taking. We're you know avoiding the cornfields, avoiding the swamps. Which direction is it going? Is it an easy drive? It's all uphill, and we got an old standard that doesn't have fifth gear. <laughs> like that truck going over the Continental Divide. You never got a chance to do this going from um. Going from the East Coast into the Midwest, you actually cross in, on, um, on certain interstates. You'll cross the Continental Divide, and it's, it's terrible for some of those guys in the transfer trucks that miss the gear, and they're literally going eight miles an hour up the hill because you're going uphill for like a mile, and then you crest over, and it's like, Wee! <laughs> yeah, you always feel bad because they they make it about three lanes, and at, at least on I-40 in North Carolina, they make it three lanes because the trucks are banned to one lane. And then the rest of us are sitting there going, and there's nothing worse than getting behind somebody who's not quite giving it gas. And you're like, I can hear my engine crying. Please speed up. Because you actually have to be speeding up in order to just maintain speed. You should drive that in a moving truck sometime that's fully loaded. Yeah, I had to pedal down and watching the speedometer go 45, 40, 35, 30. 
You know you're not doing well when the 18-wheelers are passing you on the hill? Yeah, that was a little frightening. Welcome to Christianity, because what do we constantly have? We have those little pieces, things of the world, all of those bad things that are pulling back on us. What do we do? We continue to walk. Proverbs 4, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Your parents taught you this. Garbage in, garbage out. How do I ensure that there are good things flowing from me in my life? See, I can't stop them once they get out. This is, again, the warning that you have from Jesus. What defiles a man? What comes out of him? Does stuff going in defile you? No. It def when you are defiled, it is the stuff that comes out. Now, as a Christian, what am I doing? I'm guarding what comes in because what is inside is pure. It is the Holy Spirit. It is guided. It is guarded. So it is now incumbent upon me to work with that and produce what is good. If I'm producing what is not good, what do I know needs to be changed? The work? No. The heart that is producing it. Oh, sorry. There we go. We're going to go with both. We're just, there you go. There you go. We just get all sorts of medical science going here. The heart that produces it needs to be changed. I don't change the behavior. I seek to change the desires, the thought patterns, the processes of my life that lead to sinful behavior. Sin is not external to me. It is internal. It is part of who I am. This is how we function. Let's go back to Peter, Second Peter this time. For this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, all of those things are becoming true about you and are growing in you because what is true? The heart is producing what it wants to produce, which is good, because you are desiring God, you are ever progressing, you are ever ascending, ever climbing, and therefore you are ever producing good works, good fruits, in keeping with the godliness that he has given you because he has changed you because you have trusted in him. Verse 11, and make it your ambition to lead, quiet, to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. See, this is good. What happens if you don't do that? I think you can explain that by saying the 2000s in the United States. Like, Why is everybody and their uncle on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, um, let's see, TikTok, you, you Snapchat? I mean, I can't even keep up with them all. I mean, we, li we literally have jokes. I mean, can Cameron loves them a little bit more than I do, but it is a little mindless to watch these stupid little 10-second videos on, on TikTok. They're kind of hysterical. Some of them are. But there's actually a, a phrase for it. It's TikTok famous. Because everybody in the app knows who you are, and you know who knows who you are outside of that app? Nobody. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. But why is everybody, why is everybody making these stupid little videos? In the hopes that they will get famous. That their 15 minutes will come, that they will cash in. What is Paul telling you? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. What happens when the desires of my life are no longer about being quiet, but about being renowned, about being famous, about being well-known, well-thought by everyone? Am I desiring godliness? See, that's what changes. Matthew 19, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Again, I say to you, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished. Now, keep in mind why. In their world, the concept was if you were rich, it was because who had blessed you? God. So by definition, if you were rich, you had God's favor. Therefore, if anybody was going to make it into heaven, who was? Rich people. Jesus is like, no, flip that around. So they said, who then can be saved? Looking at Jesus and looking at them, Jesus said, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Okay, I asked this question, I think I asked this Wednesday. I ask it again. Is it a sin to be rich? See, I did ask it Wednesday because you got it right. <laughs> Daryl got it right. No, it is not a sin to be rich. Can it be? Yes. See, conversely, could it be a sin to be poor? Could be. I mean, if you're poor just because you won't work or because you are an, an eternal underachiever. <laughs> if, or you're the eternal underachiever. Like, you know, I always remember, like, there were, two, there were two sets of rules for Cameron's family when she was growing up, when it came to school. Because if Cameron came home with anything less than a B, it was World War III. Like, the, the world was coming to an end. It was all, all going to be over. The roof was coming down. Every book was coming home. We're auditing everything. When, when her brother came home with a C, we had a party. We were like, he got a C! <laughs> what was the difference? Well, Cameron's capable of acing all of her classes. For some of, for some of the classes that he took, Cameron's brother, if he studied hours every night, did extra work, if he got a, a 75, that was, that was awesome work. That was, that's the difference in the two kids. The stand, now, you're looking at it from the outside looking, well, that's not fair. You should hold them both to the same standard. No, that would be dumb because the one who is capable of doing should do what? Should do so. Notice what was required for both of them. Work hard. Do your best. And the best for you should look like 90s and up, and the best for you should be like, we passed. It's a good day. Let's go home. This is why you have to know who. When you're evaluating your Christian life, who do you start with knowing? God and yourself. What am I capable of doing? Where am I? See, this is where we beat ourselves up as Christians. We go, well, I didn't do perfectly. Well, get in line, dude. This is duh time. Did you seek after godliness? And if you look at me and say, well, no, well, then time out. Then you did not offer to God as best you could. So there's your point. There's where you're, what did you desire more than God? And let's fight not the behavior, but let's fight the desire. What's wrong? What did you want? What were you seeking to go after? And how do we get you going after Christ in those avenues? See, this is the warning of the wisdom of Scripture. This is why you don't forsake history. So Ecclesiastes 4. I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. So what's he saying? These two guys are competing with each other, and what are they accomplishing? Nothing. Now the fool looks at that and says what? Well, why would I live like that? I'm going to go sit in a shade tree and chill. Solomon continues. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, and yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked. And for and he I'm sorry, and he never asked. And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? 
This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. So what's Solomon saying? When you see the, these two guys working themselves to death to compete with each other, and you recognize, well, that's just dumb. Well, one guy looks at it and says, well, that's just so dumb, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go sit over here and chill. The other guy says, well, I'm not going to compete like that. I'm just going to work hard and accumulate everything I can for me, not for him. And what does Solomon condemn? Both of them. You've all missed it. You've all missed it. Because at the end of the day, who are they all serving? Either themselves or something that is not God. There's a balance in life. This is why we don't get mad about seeking leisure. This is, this is why these lockdowns that we're all engaged under still are a bad idea. We are human beings. We are not robots. We are not ants on the march. We are meant to actually enjoy the lives that God has given to us. And when we lose all avenue for the enjoyment of life, you have to start asking an important question. What's the point of all of this? See, because there's, there's a bad way of looking at it. See, there's the way of looking at it says, you know, I wasn't meant to just work, pay taxes, and die. And the answer is, well, actually, yeah, you were. And conversely, no, you weren't. Because even the person who does nothing but go to work, pay taxes, and die, is that all they did every day from sunup to sundown? No. You find your leisure. You find your enjoyment in this world in different places. For someone with this level of money, their enjoyment looks different from somebody with this level. But they still do what? They still have their things. They still have something that they enjoy about life, something that they praise God that they are able to do, something that they praise God in the midst of doing. This is humanity. This is how we live. It's quiet. It's simple. It's basic. It's minding your business. It's doing what you're supposed to do to the best of your ability and enjoying the fruits that it produces as God has given you ability. That's just being human. Sinners get this. Unredeemed people get this. We wrote songs in the 80s. Everybody's working for the... See? You laugh, but why is that song still a thing 30, 40 years later? Be because you still do. Because there is something... See? Catch this. Because there is something innate to humanity that understands that if I went and killed myself every day to the best of my ability at work, what should I at some point be able to do? I should be able to enjoy part of my life. That's innate to humanity because we have been built with that by God. We are meant to do it, though, in godliness. We work as an offering to God. We rest. We relax. We worship as an offering unto God. We never carve God out. We carve our lives into his kingdom. That's how we live and function. The wisdom of Scripture literally sees it. Solomon's looking around going, this is all insane. What's the end of that book? What's the conclusion? Fear God. Keep his commandments. Because if you do that, you'll work well. You'll have your needs met. You'll have the leisure. You'll have everything. And at the end of the day, you'll have Christ at the centerpiece, at the conclusion. Verse 12. So that, so do these things so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Notice the prayer we had this morning. Reading Philippians. What was the coffee cup verse from Philippians this morning? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why could Paul say that? Because Paul has had what? He's had abundance and he's had nothing. But you know what? When he had everything and when he had nothing, what did he still always have? He always had Christ. Always. He was never, when he had everything, he wasn't in need. When he had nothing, he was not in need. He was supplied. So 
be mindful, be careful for both, for both your sake and catch this, the world's. Your sake, because when you're not careful and you are not addressing need and service and worship, you're not paying attention to what's on the highway. That's when the cornfield grows over and all of a sudden you're like, I am 18 rows deep and I can't even see the highway. You want an experiment, there's, there'll be enough that sometime around July, have some fun, get permission, and wait till the corn is above your head, and then just like pick a spot, not down the row, and walk about, you know, don't count, just walk like five minutes into the cornfield. Then spin around eight times and then find your way out. Yeah. This is why I'm using it. See, Vern's like, I have been there because once you get about 10 rows deep into a cornfield, you know what everything looks like? A cornfield. You have... You don't know where east is. You can't see the sun. I mean, like, the, there's bugs looking at you like, what are you doing here, dude? And you're like, I don't know which way is out. And the bug's like, I don't know. I've been here my whole life. And there's just, it doesn't make any sense. This is why I use this example for Christian living. You drive off the highway. You land in the cornfield. Nobody knows you're there. Unless they see where the corn, you can actually, if you're careful and do it right, you can actually drive a car into a cornfield and you just go pick the stalks back up, you won't even know what's in there. Sometimes the stalks will just stand back up on their own because they didn't break, and you can drive for, you will, you will go weeks and not even know there's a car in the cornfield. Yeah, you've, you've had, you've, you know, Fern ran over a wheel because it was like there's, there's a wheel in the middle of my field. It's a terrible thing to go off the highway and land in the middle of the field. It's an even worse thing when you do it in your Christian walk. How do I avoid that? By checking my motivations at the start. I don't try to correct when I'm already in the field. I try to correct to make sure I'm actually on the path. That I'm paying attention and doing well. And I'm doing this by checking my desire for godliness. Matthew 6. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, if we trust in God's provision, then I don't have to kill myself making sure I am provided for. I work well, and God will provide. I serve well, and God will build. I live well, and God will reward and God will carry me through. I don't have to worry about what it produces. I worry about, is it righteous? Is it good? Am I seeking after Christ? And if the answer is yes, then all that other stuff that's just freaking me out every 10 minutes, you know who's got it? He does. I don't have to worry about it. This is how I don't lose sleep in my life, because I worry about now. What am I doing right now? Am I serving Christ? Is this, a, is this upholding godliness? Is this walking in a righteous direction? Am I making a disciple? Am I being a disciple? Am I going the right way? And if I am, <laughs> we're good. I may not always be comfortable about it because God's got a good knack for kind of letting you get to the end of a rope sometimes before he gives you a little bit more. But I'm provided for. I'm cared for. I am secure. Because even if things go terribly in this world, what do I still have? That's why Paul can do all things. Because when I had everything, I got Christ. When I've got nothing else, I've still got Christ. And as long as I have Christ, I have everything that I need. 
And that's the goal of sanctification. There's what Paul is getting to these people, is this is your reminder day in and day out. Now, this is good, because this groundwork answers the problems that the Thessalonians are having. And it's the same problems that we face even in this world today. And the same answers they get with the same foundation, same answers we get with the same foundation. Built on Christ, walking in him, trusting in him. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the day that you've given. We thank you for the lives that you have provided. We thank you for the joy that you give us in your son. We thank you for the moments you allow us in this world that we can rejoice, that we can be at rest because of what you have done. Lord, strengthen us. Remind us that our lives are not built on shifting sand, but they are grounded on you. They are built upon the rock and they are secure and that as we walk, we walk by your spirit and we faithfully continue to your kingdom. Lord, preserve us, strengthen us, Gird us in this world that we would be trusting in you and not this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks. Because he's given Jesus Christ, his son, give thanks with a grateful heart, give thanks to the Holy One, give thanks. Because he's given Jesus Christ his Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. And let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what? The Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say, I am strong. And let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us give thanks with a grateful heart give thanks to the holy one give thanks because he's given jesus christ his son Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his Son. And now let the weak 
See, I am strong. And let to four say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let to weak say I am strong and let to four say I am because of what the Lord has done for us, give thanks. Uh, something I did forget earlier, um, Bill got uh, some got to be seen some of the doctor. He was gonna when I spoke to him Friday. He was planning on being here. He was uh, negative for the for uh, the plague, and so. He was ready to come in and then hit him yesterday and today. Sinuses are just gone crazy. So keep up with Bill because probably changing pressures and storms rolling in. If you're like me, my wrist is what does it. I, uh, I jammed my wrist years ago, and when the weather rolls in, I can't use it. <laughs> yes, you're back. It's, 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 you get a trick knee, something like that. So if you remember Bill and if you've just, uh, you haven't heard from anybody in a while and your eyes wondering where they've been, just give them a call and let me know and if you hear anything or anybody needs anything. Just keep us posted. We'll go from there. Let's let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you again. As we leave, keep us safe. Keep us grounded in you in this world, that we would serve and be the fruitful, pers persevering saints that you have called us to be. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>